Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, my friends, this is the sermon, and so thanks for giving your attention to the Word of God. We're going to read the Bible together and listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying to us the church. We're going to be in 2 Kings today in chapter 5, and this is the story of Naaman. The story of Naaman. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, through a mighty, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord what the girl of the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, welcome to our series, week three. It's called Cool Story, Bro. And during August, we are putting stories of our Timberlake people alongside stories from the Bible and looking at how God is moving in our lives and in the world. And our goal is for you to understand that you have a story and to you, for you to see and look back in your life at how God has been working in your story. And finally, then also for you to tell your story. Three biblical truths, three biblical principles right out of this book that help us understand the power of story. First, you have a story, friends. It's true. You have a story. Second, God has been working in your story. God has been working in your life to bring about good things. And third, someone will be blessed when you tell your story. I know it's scary. I know it's intimidating. But I'm going to encourage you with everything I can. Please, please, please tell your story because you will bless someone else in the name of Jesus. Okay, I know that some of us think our stories are ordinary or maybe even boring, that does not mean they're unimportant for God's purposes. Never underestimate the power of God to do something amazing with an ordinary life. So today we're going to tell two stories, and they're about healing. Two stories about healing. And the first story is the one we just read, the story of Naaman. So Naaman is a somewhat obscure character in the Bible. There's really just one chapter of the Bible that's about his life, 2 Kings chapter 5. And what I want you to know about Naaman at the beginning is, is that Naaman had it all. Naaman had everything. He had a good job, a good reputation. He had an elevated status in his country. He had access to wealth. Naaman was the commander of the Aramean army, of the Syrian army. 
And so he had favor with the king. The king liked Naaman as the commander of the army. Naaman was well-respected in the country for his leadership ability. And maybe most of all, he was a mighty warrior. He was strong and brave and industrious and tough. Naaman had it all. Well, almost all. There's one thing that Naaman lacked, and that was good health. The story says Naaman had leprosy. Naaman had leprosy. In the days of the Bible, leprosy was surely the most feared illness of all. I tried to think of something to compare it to. Think of the way we thought of the HIV virus in the 1980s in the United States. Leprosy was basically a death sentence. There was no cure. Uh, People even referred to it as the living death because if you got leprosy, your days were numbered. Leprosy was thought to be highly contagious, which made people even more afraid. And in this way, lepers died a, a sort of death while they were still living because they were excluded from their family and from their community. They, they were cast out away from everyone who was familiar. They were ostracized and they were made to live in separate places, separate communities with other lepers. People with leprosy were often made to wear signs around their neck or hang bells around their neck so that when they came through a place, others would hear them coming and know to stay away. So when the story in 2 Kings chapter 5 says that Naaman had leprosy, this is not some sort of throwaway comment, just a minor detail. This is a clue that even though Naaman had everything, he was in danger of losing it all. He was in danger of losing it all. So the story says that there was an Israelite girl. She was taken captive in battle, and she served Naaman's wife. And so she knew of Naaman's illness. And so perhaps trying to win the favor of her captors, she suggests that Naaman seek the services of the Israelite prophet Elisha, because Elisha was a healer. So Naaman agrees to seek the help of Israel, right? Anything I can do to to get better And so diplomatic arrangements are made between Aram and Israel. Naaman comes with horses and with chariots, and he approaches the king of Israel with gifts of gold and silver and extravagant clothing from his king as a way to say, uh, can you help my servant Naaman? And he brings a letter to the king of Israel from his boss, the king of Aram. And he gave the letter to the king of Israel. And I want you to take a look in the story at how the king responds. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Tearing our clothes sounds strange to us. Back then it was a sign of grief a sign of repentance, or in this case, a sign of anger and despair. Why are you asking me for help? What am I supposed to do? And the king takes this request as an insult, as a political problem. But we have to ask, in in our theological inquiry, uh, where is his faith? Where is his faith? This is the king of Israel, After all, how is it that he serves the God of possibilities and yet all he sees are impossibilities? 
Well, meanwhile, in the story, Elisha the prophet hears about what's going on, and so he calls for Naaman. And Naaman comes to Elisha's house, and, and he is asked to stop at the entrance, and Elisha sends out a messenger to meet him and to tell Naaman to go and wash in the Jordan River. Now, we might wonder, why wasn't Naaman welcomed into the house? Maybe, maybe Elisha was concerned about the illness, what with the, the leprosy and all, or you know, at least if he's coming in, uh, make him wear a mask, right, and socially distance. <laughs> uh, but the theological implication is what I want you to get here, friends. The theological implication is that the power of God is so strong that God's prophet doesn't even need to lay hands or even eyes on Naaman in order to give healing. And so the messenger comes to Naaman and says, Naaman, go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times and you shall be clean. That sounds reasonable, right? Not to Naaman. Naaman was furious. Look at verses 11 and 12. I thought that for me he would surely come out, Naaman said, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Naaman thought surely he was important enough that the, the prophet would himself come out and meet him and not just send a messenger. Couldn't the prophet just you know, wave his hand and cure the leprosy? And, and why the Jordan River? Aren't the rivers of Damascus uh, where Naaman is from, aren't they nicer anyway? And so Naaman was incensed. He left in a rage. He's so angry because Naaman wants it his way. He wants it according to his plan. Give me the secret code. You know, give me the, the special information. Let me have the religious experience. But it doesn't work according to Naaman's plan. And Naaman cannot heal himself. Friends, in this moment, through the eyes of Naaman, we come up against the hard truth of God's kingdom. The scandal of the gospel you see, the truth of Christ is offensive because it declares that we are wretched sinners and that our self-sufficiency is a myth. Naaman's angry because he's looking at this from a human point of view. You know, why the Jordan River? Why not some other river? Well, why do I have to go and wash seven times? The prophet Elisha has no magical ability. Why does Naaman need to wash seven times in the Jordan River? Do you know the answer? <laughs> because that's what God said. Because that's what God said. Friends, there's nothing magical about the number seven. It's because that is what God commanded. Of course we all want to be healed. Of course we all want health and prosperity and success. But how many of us are willing to live God's way rather than our own. Naaman's story is a not-so-gentle reminder that, yes, faith is necessary, but God wants something in addition to faith. God wants our obedience. God wants our obedience. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him only. 
And this part of the story concludes in verse 14. So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. God healed Naaman. God healed Naaman. So what do we take away from the story? I want you to take three things, friends. First, the prophet of God was able to do what the king of Israel was not able to do. And that's because in God's kingdom, prophets are far more powerful than kings. The word is stronger than the sword. And faith in God is more important than any human authority. Second, we need to remember our baptism. And we need to go down to the waters again and again and again. The waters of baptism are stronger than any medicine because only the water of baptism can wash away our sin and make us clean. Finally, friends, take this away. The power for our healing does not come from inside of us. It does not come by magic or by some secret understanding or by some religious ritual. It comes from the grace of Almighty God. I want you to hear one more story about healing today. This is the story of one of our Timberlake people. His name is Jack Cagle. Jack is a husband and a father and a grandfather and an active participant in the ministry of our church. Friends, here, check this out. The testimony of Jack Cagle. Hey, Timberlake, it's Pastor Brad. How are you today? I'm here with my friend Jack Cagle. Jack is one of our Timberlake people. He is an active part of our ministry. He happens to be married to Janice. And after a season of life in the Virginia Beach area, they are back at Timberlake now again. So Jack, tell us about yourself. Well, Janice and I have been married for 51 years. Thank God. <laughs> to me, she's the most beautiful, intelligent, and God-loving woman that I've ever met. We have two grown children, uh, both who are married. We have one grandson that was born last December, and we have a granddaughter due this coming December. I was born and raised in Hampton. Uh, Janice was born in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, but she was raised at Newport News. And we both worked together at the same store one time, and that's, that's how we got to meet each other. We moved here when I was 26 years old. And I tell people that uh, I was born and raised in Hampton, but I grew up in Lynchburg. Well, Jack, uh, talk to us a little bit about your faith. Uh, what did faith mean to you when you were a child or a young person? Well, when I was uh, growing up, uh, I went every Sunday to church with my grandparents. I've always been in the Methodist church. Uh, I grew up a Methodist. Uh, I believed in everything they believed in. And my grandmother said, if you don't believe the Bible, uh, I'll meet you out back with a stick. <laughs> so, uh, but I grew up and reached a point when I was a teenager that I discovered were girls. And girls became more important than church for a teenage boy. So I didn't go to church like I should after that and it developed a habit because it was too easy not to go, I guess. 
Uh, but uh, the time came when uh, when the good Lord told me that that was not the right thing to do, that I ought to be in church. When did you hear that from the Lord and how did you hear that from the Lord? Well, when we went to Virginia Beach, uh, I became very active in the church. Uh, and it, it was really through a fault because uh, I figured, well, Janice, go, you know, she works for the church and I don't know anybody else. There's nothing else to do. Maybe I ought to go to church every Sunday. And I did. And I became more attracted to the church, is the only best way I know to put it. Uh, became much more involved. Started a uh, pancake brunch, I guess is the best thing to call it, for mostly the homeless people or anybody that wanted to come. And the first time that I did it, I had more volunteers than I did people. But it grew and grew. And then I became involved with uh, Sunday school class for the homeless people on Sunday mornings in our fellowship hall. What was it like for you to come back to church as a middle-aged adult? Well, it, at first it was a little bit scary because uh, I, I felt ashamed of the fact that I didn't know the Bible like I was supposed to know the Bible. I knew verses that I had heard all my life, but I had no idea where they were in the Bible. Um, but uh, then I realized that you, didn't, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. Um, and I became more, much more comfortable with it and talking to people about God. Um, when I became sick, um, I got a rude awakening and found out that it was even more involved than that. Eight years ago, uh, I developed colon cancer and spent 11 days in the hospital. The first five days I was in the hospital, I was in a semi-coma uh, due to the fact that once they did the surgery to remove a small portion of my colon, they carried me downstairs and uh, did a CT scan and an MRI. Well, unbeknowing to them, the dye that they used for a CT scan, I was highly allergic to. And I was also allergic to the blood pressure medication that they were giving me during the surgery. The combination of these things caused my kidneys to shut down completely. Nobody knew they had shut down. They brought me back to uh, the room and Janice said she sat there beside the bed and watched me swell and swell and swell. And the next thing she knew, the bed was covered in blood. And she uh, called a nurse in, the nurse pulled the covers back and found out that my stomach had split open uh, and caused quite a bit of problems. On the fifth day of my stay in the hospital, when I was still in a coma, I felt the hand of God take my hand. And I heard 
in my head, not now, my son, I have things I still want you to do. I'm sorry, I still get emotional about it, uh, but I have no idea what it is that he has in store for me, but he, he blessed me and he has allowed me to, to live, to complete those things. I believe that telling this story is part of it. I believe that uh, teaching uh, my Sunday school class is part of it. And then whatever he calls me to do, he will let me know. That's when I stopped becoming just a believer in Christ and started becoming a disciple of Christ. Wow. Wow. That's powerful, Jack. Thank you for sharing us with us your, your vision of God taking your hand and speaking to you. Um, what difference has that made in your life? Well, before uh, all of that happened, I was very reluctant to talk to people about God uh, simply because I hadn't read the Bible. I figured if you didn't read the Bible, you got no business speaking up. And I was um, reluctant to pray around people. Now, uh, God is everything to me. And if you want to pray, I'll pray with you anywhere, anytime. Makes no difference. And I'm not ashamed to do it. And I've been able to do that with several people. And hopefully it's made a difference in their life. I love how you give credit to God's goodness with other people and, and name how you see God at work. It's my conviction God's always at work in the world for our good. It's just sometimes we notice and sometimes we don't. But I appreciate that part of your ministry is to help people notice. Well, I, you know, some people don't believe, say miracles happened, you know, 2,000 years ago. I've seen miracles in the past. I see miracles every day. And I fully expect to see miracles in the future. Nobody can tell me that miracles don't happen because I've seen them. Amen. Amen. Jack, who is Jesus to you? Well, Jesus is everything, but more importantly, he's my, my Lord and Savior, and he gave up his life for my sins. So he's, he's number one. I've told Janice, I said, Janice, you're the second most person that I love. And I said, I hope that you don't get upset by it, but I said, Jesus comes first, and then you come second. And she's quite happy with that arrangement. I'm so grateful to Jack for sharing his story with all of us. And I love that we can see Jack's story in the Bible and it's reflected in the story of Naaman. Friends, I want to challenge you and encourage you. Find your story in this book. And surely your story goes by someone else's name, but your story is here nonetheless because God loves us 
all the same and wants to include us in his plan of salvation and of healing. Brothers and sisters, look to God who loves you to heal you of all your sin and to cure every ill in Jesus' name. Amen.